And so as we, we get to open that together today, uh, I know many of you uh, that have grown up in the church or around the church were aware that Ravi Zacharias passed away this week. If you know Ravi Zacharias, he's one of the great a Christian apologists of our time. Uh, he, he helped people as he traveled the world to think through a lens of a Christian worldview and what that looks like. And if you ever heard Ravi speak, he did it with great eloquence and brilliance and clear thinking, but also with just this incredible graciousness. He's this godly man that God used in such a great way. And I, I, was, I was thinking about him this week. So much of Ravi's ministry and what we're called to be as Christians could be summed up. In uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, which Paul writes, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And the key of, of taking the truth of God's word and applying it over everything, truly living out of a worldview that sees everything through uh, what Jesus has done. And, and Ravi did that so well. And so I was reminded of that this week. And I want us to think just for a few moments together this morning as we as we look at these verses in Romans chapter eight, uh, the, be transformed by the renewal of our minds to think deeply about who God is and what he's done and what it tells us in Romans chapter eight. And so three things, three things that I really want you to think about. And, and it's a simple outline and it's pretty straightforward. But the three things I'm going to say are great big ideas that will completely transform your life if you understand the truth of it. And so the first thing I want us to consider is God uses everything in your life, whether good or bad. God uses it all. Secondly, nothing can separate you from God's love in Jesus. And lastly, we have a future in Jesus that is far more glorious than anything you could ever imagine. And those three profound truths will radically shape your life. And so let's just start with God uses it all. It's really strange to stand here like this for us to finally be together in the middle of a global pandemic. And it's, it's a weird time for a lot of us. There's lots of uncertainty. I, I know in talking to people throughout the week, some of us uh, uh, jobs have been lost or, or furloughed or there's financial strain or there's all sorts of things. Some of it is just the uncertainty of not knowing what tomorrow looks like or the next day. And we can struggle with those things, and it's a strange time right now. But what Scripture tells us is that God will use every single bit of it. One of the most famous verses in the Bible, or, or within the church, we say it frequently, is right here in the middle of this text. And it's Romans 8:28 that says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. But what happens sometimes is in the middle of a time like this, people can say that almost flippantly. It becomes like a Christian bumper sticker. Maybe you've heard that before in your life. You're going through something difficult and people come up and go, hey, God works all things together. And you kind of go, yeah, okay. And in that moment, it doesn't feel like it. And we say it so much that it starts to become like this Christian slogan or it becomes like the balm that we try to apply to every single wound. And sometimes you go, yeah, I believe that. Or you're wrestling with that and you go, yeah, that's a wonderful truth, but it doesn't feel like it right now. And I think part of the reason is sometimes we do that where we just kind of flippantly say that, but we don't really think of the context of what's underneath that, what's undergirding that. And so I want us to really think about that for just a minute here in Romans chapter 8, what Paul says. 
Because there's a lot around that verse that he builds this up to show us this glorious and magnificent truth. And we need to think deeply about that. We need to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And so listen to what he says in Romans chapter 18 or chapter 8. And I'm going to start in verse 18 there. He says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. And I want to stop there for just a second as we start to think about how does God use everything? How does that truth that God works all things together for those that are called according to his purposes break into where you are right now, today? And part of that is understanding Paul's argument and what he's saying about who God is and what he's doing. And so if you look closely there in verse 20, it says the creation was subjected, subjected to futility, not willingly. And what he says is the creation, God's good creation, is under a futility right now. And I want you to think about what that means. It, it means there's a frailty to it. Or, or if you look in context, the very next verse He says that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Futility, corruption, very similar. God's good creation created and he looked at it and said it's good. But then now there's a futility that's come into it. And if we follow all the way through scripture, what we see, the reason that it's there, that futility is there is because of sin. Because we've rebelled against God and the world he created. And we see that at the very beginning in Romans chapter 3. I'm sorry, in Genesis chapter 3, when at the very beginning, when when God says to Adam and Eve, there's kind of one rule to this. He tells them not to eat of a certain tree. And what he's saying to them is just trust me. You don't want to have the knowledge of good and evil. But they take it upon themselves. And as soon as they do, sin enters the world and God comes and he seeks them out. And he says, now that you've sinned, there's going to be a futility. Your relationships are going to be harder. Work is going to be harder. Childbirth is going to be harder. All these things are going to be more difficult because of the sin that has now entered into the world. But I want you to think about what Paul says here in verse 20, that second half. And this is so key for us to understand. He says the creation has been subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. And so the question is, who's the him in verse 20? And the answer is, it's God that's doing this. It's the only way that makes sense with all of what Scripture says and even the context of what it says here. It's subjected to futility in hope. He's doing it for good purposes. He's doing it for good reasons and for what is to come. And so God subjects creation to this futility. And so we see this all around us today in all sorts of different ways. We see it in... uh, Wars, We see it in people being ugly to one another. We see it in global pandemics. We see it in misinformation. We see it in all these ways. So why is is God doing, why does he allow this to come? And if you look closely at what Paul's saying, he shows you. He subjected it to futility and hope. And so if you look at verses 22 and 23, it says, For we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
And not only the creation, but we ourselves who wait for the first fruits of the Spirit. And we groan inwardly as we wait for the adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For into this hope we have been saved. And what he's saying is that God allows us to feel this futility of what functioning, his creation functioning in sin looks like. To arouse us to what it really is meant to be. So I was thinking about that this week. Uh, what came to mind is, is uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. One of the most famous stories ever. You probably know it or you've at least seen the, uh, one of the versions that's on TV around the holidays. But it starts, Ebenezer Scrooge is the main character. And that name has become synonymous with, with not caring and cruelty and, and greed and all the things that he is in this story. But in the story, the, the ghost of Christmas past and Christmas present and Christmas future visits him and shows him the ends of his life as he's going. Shows him the futility that's coming because of the way he's living. And if you know the story, it, it arouses Ebenezer Scrooge to change, to go in a different direction. And so God uses the futility of creation to arouse us to something that's far greater that it was never meant to be. We were never meant to be the center of the creation. He was. And when we go to that, we miss it. And so God, in his grace and mercy, builds into creation this futility when we sin. C.S. Lewis said it so brilliantly when writing about Christian suffering. And not just suffering, but the suffering of the world. And he says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience. But he shouts to us in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God is at work in the most difficult seasons and the hardest times to awaken us to the glory of what he's going to do. Now, there's so much more we could say about how God grows us in suffering, how he helps teach us and Sparks in us a humility and the way he gives us empathy and the different ways in which he teaches us. But what I want us just to rest on this morning is that he uses every bit of it. And it's by his grace and his mercy that he allows us to feel this futility uh, because of sin in the world. And so God uses every single bit of it. But then the second thing I want us to consider that Paul says here is that nothing in Jesus, there is absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of God. When things are difficult, when there's hard seasons, there's uh, some different ways that we will struggle in our relationship with God. There's a whole lot of ways, but a couple come to mind in the sense of uh, when we're struggling, we can go to God doesn't care. He's forgotten about me. Or maybe we struggle with things like uh, I deserve this. I don't deserve God's grace, and so if things are bad right now, it must be because I'm a mess. And so God doesn't really care about me, but maybe it's justified, and we start to struggle through some of those things. And God can feel very distant in difficult times. But right in the middle of this text, Paul says something that's so profound that points us to God's love for us. And how he never leaves us and he never forsakes us. That nothing can separate us from his love. And so I want you to go back to verse 28. And I want you to see what's right there with what he says. So verse 28, 29, and 30. 
And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things if God is for us, who can be against us? And I want you to think about the argument of what he's saying there. What is true of you in Jesus? And in verse 29 and in verse 30, we see the glory of the gospel. God's grace to us. And so we would summarize that we are saved by grace through faith in what Christ has done. Every time we get the privilege of meeting together, we say that here. We have been saved by what Jesus has done, not our own work, but what Christ has done for us. It is not my goodness or my righteousness, but Jesus and what he's given to me. And we rest in that. And so we could ask one another, and at different times, I've had many conversations with a lot of you about this. How did you become a believer? Your testimony. And what happens is, is we rightly so, we'll talk about the time that we knew God's love for us. And so we'll talk about maybe a parent who was teaching us, or a friend, or whether it was high school or college or as an adult or wherever it was in there. And we can go to this time and we can go, someone shared the good news, the gospel, that God has done for me what I can't do for myself. And I believed and I recognized that I'm a sinner and I'm saved by Jesus and nothing else. And the Holy Spirit came into my life and I'm saved. I am justified. Right? That word that Paul uses here, he talks about it right in the middle of this. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined, he called, they were also justified. And we talk about being justified, being good with God. And it's not by our doing, but by Jesus's. And so when we tell our testimony, we kind of usually zero in on that, that justification. But what I want to point out to you is that when we ask that question of how did that happen, it didn't just start there in that moment. Paul gives you five steps here. Five things that he said happened in your coming to faith. And oftentimes we focus our testimony on one part of it. 20% of it. And we miss the glory of what God's doing. And so I want you to trace that back with me. How did you come to faith? Well, I professed it. But why did you profess it? And what the Bible says is that you were called. There was an effectual calling of the Holy Spirit in your life that opened your eyes to see Jesus. And so Paul says here, those who were called were also justified. And so when you made a profession of faith, it's because the Holy Spirit put a calling in your life and he opened your eyes to see Jesus. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us caused you to become alive in Jesus. Ephesians 2, the Holy Spirit moved in your life, the Holy Spirit that is God, the third person of the Trinity moves in your life and he opens your eyes to see Jesus and then you profess faith and then you're justified at that moment in what Christ has done for you, but it took the Holy Spirit moving. But that's not all that he says. He doesn't just say you were called and you were justified. He goes back even further and so take the next step back. He says you were predestined. You were called because you were predestined. Well, what does that mean? 
Ephesians chapter 1. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. This is verses 3 through 6. Listen carefully to what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of the will of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he has blessed us in the beloved. Do you hear what that says? You were justified because you were called and you were called because God predestined you before the foundation of the world. Before anything. Before you had done anything, said anything. Anything good or bad or any of it. He predestined, he set his affections on you. And Paul says it was, it was by the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. His, in his grace, in his sovereignty, he predestined you. But it doesn't stop there. He goes back even one step further. And he says those that were predestined are the ones he foreknew. Well, what does that mean? That he foreknew. That word to know in the Bible carries with it uh, an intimate covenantal knowledge. It's not just that he knew who you were, but that he chose in a very specific way to draw people to himself. And so foreknow, to know, think of it like this, Adam and Eve. It says Adam knew Eve and then she conceived and bore a son. It's talking about an intimate relationship between Adam and Eve. Not just that he knew who she was. He knew her in a different way than that. Or in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says that there's going to be people that stand before him and he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. That does not mean that he doesn't know who they are. It means that they're not in a covenantal intimate relationship with him that he knows in that way. And so when you put this together... Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. And then there's one last part here that says he glorified. And what does that mean? It means that when Jesus returns and we stand before him, we are going to be conformed to the image of his son completely and totally. We're going to be made into the fullness of what we were created to be. And so here's the thing I want you to see as you follow that all the way through. It's the unbreakable chain that he who foreknew, predestined, called, justified, glorified, it is all by his grace. He does every single part of it through. I will take that as an amen. That's how we amen in a parking lot. And so when you see that all the way through, every part of that, every single step of that, that's why Paul can say in Philippians chapter 1, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Do you understand? You are saved because of God's sovereign choice, because he is faithful. It's his doing. It rests with his marvelous grace and his incredible choice and his mercy. And it's his doing from beginning to end. And so when you get to that and you understand that, you can then say with Paul, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can?
can overturn the will of God. No one. And so that's why he can go on and say, now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're conquerors because he loved us. Because of what he's doing. Which then stands to reason the next step that he can say, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation. And we can include losing a job and going through a pandemic and being alone in every single one of those. I will not leave you or forsake you because it rests with his glorious grace. Nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. But then the beauty of all of that is it comes together. The last part. That we have a future that is more glorious than anything we can ever fathom. And it's assured because it all rests with him. It all rests with his glorious grace. And so look at what Paul says in verse 18 and in verse 21. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage of corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That there is a glorious future that is coming that is assured because it has all been purchased in Jesus and it is going to come to fruition. And what he says is even in this futility and this corruption and this struggle, when we get to that glory, it will work backwards and overshadow and dwarf everything else in such a way that you will go. It doesn't even compare to what we now have. And so the question comes, maybe you've thought this before. If God knew, he knew before the foundation of the world and he knew because he chose us before the foundation of the world in Jesus. He knew when he created us and he gave us free choice that we would choose to rebel. Why did he do it like that? Why did he do it? Why did he allow the creation to be subjected to futility? And the answer that the Bible gives us is the future that we have is so glorious that it will make every bit of it worth it. That what we have gone through to get to that point will be so dwarfed and so beautiful that we have a future that is so glorious. And that in God's sovereignty, he knows that what we go through now will be worth it in the end. Because of the way he's redeeming and what he's done for us in Jesus. And so this world is the best possible way to the future that he's created for us. And so when we look at all of this, God's going to use every single bit of this every day, all of it in your life. There's nothing that you can do to separate yourself from the love of Christ and Jesus, what he's done for you. And we have a glorious future that is far above and beyond anything we possibly can imagine. So let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the glorious truth of Romans chapter 8 that tells your story and your gospel and the beauty of the way you're working and what you've done for us. I pray that we would see that afresh today. We thank you for the opportunity to be here with one another proclaiming your name and standing under your truth. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.